0: And welcome to The Boldness. My my name's Phineas Meir. Joining me in the studio, as he does regularly, our resident rock god and, uh, well, just all-round man of our town, Raphael Kalev. Hello, Raphael.
1: Well, happy birthday from yesterday, Mr. Me, but you didn't book me to entertain your
0: party. Uh, no, the party was very low, but, um, But thank you very much for the... Wish, and now all of Melbourne knows. Okay, um, coming up on it, uh, well, for, before we do that, I've got to t- tell you that the bonus is all, all about not j- just waiting for your h- human rights, but demanding them. So coming up on, t- what we got? Coming up on today's show, Raphael.
1: Well, we have got a very exciting show from a disability point of view. It's about disability and the possibility of home ownership and later on tonight we'll be talking with dr elan Wiesel, who's a professor in urban geography at the university of melbourne who's produced a number of papers and interesting what do you think about the possibility of equity housing Finn? Uh,
0: look i think it's i think it uh, yeah, has housing in general we, people with disabilities unfortunately because uh the, we, uh, because the model of how housing in so far as government is concerned is very constrictive. Um, so we have to have a greater, um, we have to really look at, be more, be more proactive with options. Um, the NDIS is a good way of doing that, but people themselves also need to be proactive in terms of a, what type of housing they're looking for and, and then t- trying to make that happen. And, uh, one such way of doing it is sh- shared, shared, uh, or sh- shared equity. And I think it's really worth looking into. And uh, hopefully... If- and I believe that we
1: might have Dr. Ilan Wiesel just about on the line. Are you there, Dr. Wiesel? I am. Hello. My name's Rafael. How are you doing tonight?
2: Hi, Rafael. Very good. Thanks for calling.
1: Now, Dr. Wiesel... What actually is equity housing and what does it mean?
2: Uh, Okay, so the the term shared equity, or I often use the term shared ownership, it's sort of an umbrella term for quite a few models. But what I guess the common uh, element in all those different types of housing models is that it's a partnership in the ownership of the home. There are two partners. One would be the person and the owner, and then there will also be an equity partner. That's not a person. That would be an organization. It could be the state. It could be a not-for-profit organization. It could even be uh, a bank. Uh, So the equity partner and the person, uh, they both contribute to purchasing uh, a home. And then they share ownership, and it could be a a different type of split. It could be 25% for the person and 75% for the equity partner, or 50/50, or or the or 75 for the person, 25 for the equity partner. And the purpose of this is to reduce the cost of having, of entry into home ownership, for the person. So it's an affordability um, objective, but it also allows more people, people on slightly lower incomes, to uh, enter home ownership and all the advantages that are associated with home ownership compared to, say, private rental.
1: Now, Dr. Viesel, what type of income are we actually looking at for a shared equity model to work for people to have the opportunity to purchase their own home?
2: So that's a very good question. I think there are a few different models within that kind of umbrella term. The, The typical, the classic shared equity would require... Quite, uh, I would argue, moderate income. So we're talking about between 50 plus, 50,000 plus a year. And that would be the, the lowest uh, entry level. And it depends, of course, on the cost of housing in a particular area. So in, in Sydney, it might be higher. In uh, some parts of Melbourne, it would be higher. But um, it, it is about people with moderate levels of income for most uh, models. But there are some models where you don't necessarily have to have a high income, but you do have to have uh, some capital. So to be able to put up front, say, uh, $100,000 or $150,000, often it would be for people who can get that, access that money from their families. And then they, can, they don't take a loan. They just put their, say, 25% contribution towards uh, 25% of the uh, equity, and then they just pay, continue to pay 25% of their rent, uh, uh, sorry, 25% of their income as uh, almost like rent. So it's almost like a social housing model, but there are basically shared owners in the house, if that makes sense.
0: Are there any risks involved with that model, Elon?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think. Um, I mean, I can talk about both the benefits and the risks. And so we can start with the risks. And the the major risk, and it's an obvious one, is that uh, if you take a loan, then you you have the risk of of having a loan, having debt. And uh, for people on low and moderate income, that's a significant risk. Um, It does sometimes stretch affordability. Uh, So apart from uh, having to repay a loan, people would also be responsible for things like maintenance. So, say, if you live in public housing, usually the um, public housing authority, the state, will cover the cost of maintenance. But if you're a shared owner, you do have to pay for maintenance in some of the models. Some models are different. So that's another risk. And it might be that you would be required to do some quite costly repairs to your home. Even if, and even if you don't want to, sometimes you might be obliged to do it by the partner because it's a partnership. So that's another risk. But yeah. I think I think one of the biggest risks is also that it's quite a complicated model. People don't fully understand how it works, so they might get some bad advice really about whether it's suitable for them or not. It, yeah. And I don't think that we still have um, the knowledge base in the community, uh, in the sector to... Give people the right advice about their particular circumstances individual circumstances and the suitability of such a model for their needs
0: because uh, in your in your conversation article which was published in february I, I noticed that one of the one of the things you said there was, was that people that money lenders and the the sector itself doesn't have doesn't really understand how this model could could could, could work and the, the benefits it could deliver people with disabilities.
2: Yes, I, th- I think that's right. I think it, part of it is because there's so many different models within that. So it's not just one model, and they're very different. Um, so people say shared equity, and they might think one thing, and the other person might understand a very different thing. So I think that's part of the... Uh, Confusion that's out there, and um, I mean uh, what I would argue is that we need to have I guess just a few types of models so a kind of a standardized uh, range of models not we do need some uh, I guess diversity but also some level of standardization so that those models are better understood, that we all have I guess a common language that when we speak about shared equity or mixed equity or community land trusts, those are all different models, and that everyone understands what each of those different models mean and who, I guess, for for what cohort of people, every model might be suitable.
1: Uh, Dr. Faisal, when I was having a doing some research, and one of the things that I noticed that I think in a number of the states of Australia there seem to be about four or five different names for what appeared to be might be the same thing about equity housing. Is that some of the difficulties that you're referring
0: to? <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, so that's right. There are different names. I don't think they're exactly the same thing. They're, again, they're, they're slightly different models, and in some cases quite substantially different models. And I'll give you an example. So in Victoria, we do have uh, one model that's called uh, mixed equity uh, that's run by an organization called Housing Choices Australia. So in that model, uh, usually people will only pay 25% of their income, uh, on, and they don't usually take a loan. They only put up front uh, usually 25% of the cost of housing. They put that money up front. Either they had some savings or they were able to get that, uh, I guess, capital from their families, from their parents. Uh, it's particularly targeted at people with disabilities, so it's a particularly for people with disability. Um, so, so that's one thing. It's quite affordable. You don't need to have a high income or even a moderate income, but you do need to have that uh, 25% upfront. A very different model is, is what we usually call shared equity, is where you might not have uh, some capital upfront, but you can take a loan and you have enough income to repay the loan. So it's a slightly different model. Does so there... yes, I, I agree. There are different models, different names used, uh, without much, uh, <laughs> I guess, consistency there. So I think the, one of the first things that need to be done in order to make this scalable, a scalable model that will serve more people, is to create some some level of standardisation and consistency, so that we all understand um, what we are talking about.
0: And does there need to be more people? more more both either um, either uh, social social housing tr- trust or uh, or cops uh, and and other organizations offering these different models of housing
2: i I would think that yes the answer is yes i, I don't think it's it's the panicky I don't think this is the one a uh, silver bullet that would solve the whole housing affordability problem. It's very much a kind of a niche market that would work for some people, uh, either people who have some income, or I guess a moderate income, or people who have uh, some initial capital, some savings. Uh, within, the, I guess, the population of people with disability, it's uh, particularly people with more severe or profound disabilities, it's a minority Uh, So it's a relatively small group that could benefit. But for that group, I would argue it is quite a useful thing, quite a good model to promote. I would definitely urge governments and organisations to work in that direction. I think it serves a couple of purposes. One, I think it actually reduces the pressure from things like social housing. So those people who might end up going to social housing Instead of that, which is actually much more uh, expensive for government, that might actually, um, I guess, shift some of that demand towards shared equity, where people actually contribute some of the, uh, the capital, some of the ongoing costs. So it's more cost-effective for government from a government perspective, and from the perspective of consumers, of people with disability, I think the the, the major benefit is the the ownership. So they're not they have choice about where they live. They, 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 It's it's almost as as being a full homeowner, even though there are some differences there.
1: Well, so there's a the
2: sense of pride attached, the sense of ownership, and and in some cases you can even um, achieve some capital gain because if the if you own some equity and the price of the house goes up, then that that's a profit with you.
0: Hey, hey, you so there should... are benefits. Hey, sorry. Elon, are you hearing um our guest tonight is Dr. Edelin Visel from the from Melbourne University School of Geography? Um what um what are you uh, will the will the NDIS, will the NDIS are you hearing that the NDIS might take on uh some of this or, or might take on some shared equity mo- uh models under its housing um under sort of um, models it's offering?
2: The NDIS is going to only fund what they call specialist disability accommodation. So that would be, they will only fund housing uh, related costs for a very, very small proportion of its participants. So that's about 6% of all NDIS participants. That's about 30,000 people out of almost half a million mm. who will be arguably eligible for the NDIS. So it's a very small proportion of people who will get any access to NDIS funding for housing. And the NDIS did indicate that they are willing to fund uh, shared equity uh, models, uh, I guess, by using those uh, specialist disability accommodation funds. Some of that would go into shared equity, potentially. I don't think the NDIA the NDIS will be an equity partner or will set up schemes, but they will be willing uh, to allow that funding to be used for that purpose. Um, but I think where we'll need to see money coming from is not so much the NDIS. Uh, I do hope that they do it, but I think uh, for the vast majority of uh, people with disabilities the money won't come from the NDIS. It will come from state governments and from, uh, I guess, philanthropic and community organisations. And uh, the state of Victoria just very recently, just a week or two ago, announced a new shared equity scheme. So that's where we'll be looking for some development.
1: Now, Dr. that quite often in financial circles, I hear the term mortgage stress, which I think was defined as 30% of a person's income when i was doing some reading about the possibility of shared equity some of the research i came across suggested that there might be the possibility of shared equity being up to 35% of a person's income would that be um correct or not
2: it's hard to say it's uh, it really depends on the you know a very specific person their level of income that I guess, the specific housing market. So I don't think there's any formula that I can give you that what percentage of income would go into shared equity. I think responsible, you know, I would argue it would be irresponsible to allow more than 30% of income to be spent on a mortgage. And and I I trust that most um, community housing organisations in Australia would would understand that it, it creates not only financial stress but also that risk of uh, potentially defaulting uh so so it is a very serious um i guess condition to to think about
1: well so that actually brings into really into my next question that with the possibility of maybe moving into let's say a home equity partnership with an organization if a person let's say if a person rented through a housing organisation or a housing association, which currently might say that our articles of association say that these properties are only for rent, would there be any possibility of a person under the equity model of actually purchasing um, their address?
2: Do you mean moving into full ownership?
1: Well, is that from moving, from actually renting through a housing association that if equity housing or shared equity came in and the housing association became part of that overall infrastructure providing as an equity partner would that be a possibility do you think
2: i think yeah i think there are some models that would allow that and there are all sorts of rent to buy schemes that have been um tried uh certainly in the uk i don't know so much how much of this um we had here in Australia. But, uh, yeah, it is a kind of model where you move on from renting and, and some of your rent eventually turns into uh, an equity investment and you end up uh, becoming a, initially a shared owner and over time a full owner of the property. I'm not aware that we do have such schemes at the moment, but it, it's possible that in some states they do exist.
1: I mean, it's not... Oh, it's doing it said. It it's just actually floating a possibility that because um, as an alternative to, let's say, Ministry of Housing Places, I think there was also another waiting list for housing associations and the housing associations may have a charter to provide opportunities for people in the community that do rent through them and possibly they might have the foresight to say, well, if we are really a not for profit organisation, we may like to extend our base or mandate to give people who are actually renting the opportunity to purchase the home in order to be a shared equity and be very progressive?
2: Uh, I, I think that, that could happen. I, I don't know that it is already happening, but I think it could happen. I, I wouldn't want it to be, uh, I wouldn't recommend it being a, a compulsory programme. Uh, there's a risk uh, in, in kind of uh, pushing people into um, ownership, even if it's not the right model for them. And there are benefits to to being, a, I guess, a social renter as opposed to being an owner, and uh, I guess in terms of risks. Uh, so I, I would, I guess, caution against it being uh, certainly a compulsory requirement from tenants. I would also be a bit worried about um, potential loss of uh, social housing stock, that so we don't want to lose social housing. As I said, the, the majority of people with disability, uh, especially those who are, the majority of people with disability who are eligible or will be eligible for the NDIS are low income. So for most of them, shared equity will not really be an option. So we want to make sure there still is enough social housing for those. And if we Uh, transform existing social housing into kind of rent-to-buy or shared equity, uh, there's a risk that we're uh, losing that really important stock that we have. So I would like to see more shared equity, but not at the expense of social housing.
0: For people who are looking at shared equity as an option, what advice would you give them? Uh,
2: The first advice would be to make sure that it is the right model for them in their very specific financial circumstances. Uh, so actually having either the income to uh, support, uh, I guess, the service alone, or enough capital that they can access either their own savings or help from families to, uh, to enter that scheme. Uh, so just to make sure that they can actually uh, afford it. Um, to think whether it is the best investment for them. So it might be that even if they have enough capital, it still might be a much better investment for them to to invest it somewhere else. So for that, I can't give uh, I guess specific advice. It's really about personal circumstances and finding the right advisor to give that financial advice to people. Whether you know how to actually invest their capital in the most uh, I guess. Uh, in the best way. Well, Dr. Faisal, way.
1: Well, Dr. Faisal, what about when a person is renting a going to go for shared equity? About how would they? Who pays for the finance? Uh, the legal advice for this? Sorry,
2: could you repeat the question again? Eh?
1: Who actually pays for the legal advice for setting up the documents that are required um, to draw up a partnership between uh, equity partner? and a person that may be renting, or buying, I should say?
2: Um, I think in many cases, you could get some uh, advice from the uh, community housing organisation that might be your partner, but it's always a good idea to get independent advice from an independent uh, financial advisor. And there are, I guess, not-for-profit organisations that provide that independent financial and legal advice. And I think it's, it's always safer to to go to someone who has no interest in in, in the no financial interest in the investment. Um, so the community housing organisation, the equity partner, might have some interest that would, um, uh, I guess, they would be, I guess, more inclined to um, encourage people to get into the scheme, where an independent advisor. Might give them much more, I guess, uh, objective external advice that might be a bit different. So I think having, I guess, a separate, external, independent body that provides affordable, even free advice would be very helpful.
0: So, Well, it's, it's a shame such a place doesn't exist at the m- moment. Dr. Wiesel, where? Dr. Eland Wiesel, where? where can we... Um, where, if people... Are looking at uh, or do want to investigate sh- shared equity? Where do you suggest they they turn to for information?
2: Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I guess there are disability advocacy organisations that could give them um, some referrals to, uh, I guess, those types of not for profit, uh, affordable or free. Um, services that could provide that advice. Unfortunately, I don't have a list that I could uh, offer.
0: That's that's uh, that's okay, but uh, but obviously with that you you would you would say seek out some uh, independent uh financial advice as, as well well to see if shared equity would meet your circumstances.
2: Yes, exactly that that's exactly the the point. I think it's um as I said, I think I, I, I'm a big fan of the shared equity model. I think it's, it's a beautiful model, but it's not for everyone, and uh, and and there are some risks attached to it. So, getting the right advice is is crucial. And um, yeah, it, I do think it needs independence.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us tonight, Dr. Evelyn Vittal from Melbourne's, from the University of Melbourne's School of Geography.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me
0: here. No, no worries. That was Doctor We Weasel, who is a who is from Melbourne University School of Geography. Now, before we go, uh, I just want to do a. I just want to mention that uh, I'd I'd really like to recommend if people haven't seen it, recommend you watch the. Watch Four Corners on Monday, or you can't from Monday, you can watch it on iView. Uh, it was in relation to um, disability neglect and abuse. And I think it is um, It's about time that the federal government actually stepped up and, and re looked at having a walk commission because uh, some of those, the abuse detail within that. Four Corners document, Four Corners uh, expose of the of the uh, of the d- disability sector and and abuse going on within it really does n- warrant further investigation. And as Australians, we shouldn't we shouldn't p- put up with it. It's a bit of a national shame. And so, if you can uh, watch that, and also if if you feel so inclined, lobby your local MP about uh just having a re- rethink about the the uh, Royal Commission, that would be fantastic. Anyway, time for us to go. Uh, Raphael, what track are we going out on? Well, first, and When's our next show?
1: Well, our next show is on the 18th of April. And first of all, we've got the 3CR subscriber drive, 94198377. If you'd like to subscribe, we're going to go out with a track. It's going to be called My home attendant by Four Wheel City, chosen by our trusty panellist, the techno whiz king, Andy Britt. And we're going out with my home attendant, Tamil Voices, is up next. Stay listening, and we're back on the 18th of April. See you later, guys.
3: Your Rick. I don't think they ready. Uh, let's roll. I fell in love with my home attendant. Yes. I fell in love uh, with my home attendant. Now, I fell in love them with in your life? my home attendant. You know, get a little in crazy in the room, y'all by yourself. And you feel this one? Yo, come ride with as I sit and reminisce on the fears that I had with my home attendants had them from every state, every continent When they walk through the door, I give them compliments like You're so pretty, had this one A from New York City Was from BK, so she had a thing for Biggie Was ready to die, but I wasn't ready yet So I had to say bye, then I had to say hi Cause my next home attendant was a Rastafari So you know I stay high, and I tell you no lie she had some good fit, but I had to let her go. Wanna know why? 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 But she called out one day and the next one. They said, What's Puerto Rican? <laughs> mixed with Dominican and <laughs> half 50 in. So I went in like Mom, <laughs> Ben This my bed getting oh, Let's go. I fell in love oh. with my own oh. attendant. Yeah, I fell in love oh. with my home.